Chapter Twenty Eight of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter Twenty Eight. In the midst of breakfast next morning, Mustafa appeared and called Davis aside and talked long and earnestly into his ear while the explorer listened with evident anger and impatience we all of us watched the conference curiously but without remark in fact we seemed to have lost the faculty of speaking except when speech was necessary even ma creel and only those who know her can appreciate what a change that meant for the most part we sat moodily with bent heads as though there was something weighing us down and that was it precisely there was something weighing us down it was worse than ever that morning it affected even our native servants at any rate the boy who waited on the table dropped a tray of dishes with a crash that made us jump nearly out of our skins and the cook upset the coffee and had to make it over again and all the time mustafa talked and talked and waved his hands i suspected what the trouble was and so i think did creel perhaps jimmy also was able to divine it for he glanced at the two men from time to time with an enigmatic smile there were dark circles under his eyes and i saw how his hand trembled when he raised his cup to his lips evidently there was less truth than bravado in his boast that he had said good-bye to nerves as for mademoiselle roland who as usual sat opposite him her pallor was startling and her eyes were like coals of fire i was sure she was burning with fever and i have wondered since if she had a presentiment davis came back at last and sat down without looking at us and went on with his breakfast well said ma creel what was that about you'll have to tell us sooner or later you know it's nothing very serious davis answered the natives have got an idea that there is something the matter with that tomb and they've notified mustafa that they won't enter it again you don't care do you since you've got the mummy out i had intended to uh, explore it a bit further explained davis what do they think is the matter with the place ma creel demanded they think it's haunted they all believe in witchcraft you know a piece of the roof fell in last night and they consider that a warning to stay out i had to pull down a part of a wall to get the coffin out and it weakened the vaulting then it is unsafe mustafa and i are going to rebuild the wall you said i could have mustafa he added turning to creel yes take him said creel i won't need him our principal scenes today are the ones showing jimmy's finish those and a few fillers to connect things up what is jimmy's finish davis asked with what was for him unusual curiosity the siren the reincarnation you know of the woman he had buried alive lures him out into the desert and then at the moment he catches her and crushes her to him she changes to a mummy in his arms and he goes mad when he finds that he can't throw the thing off and wanders around with it clinging to him until he finally falls exhausted in the sand and dies cheerful stuff i must say grunted davis do you mean to tell me any american audience will stand for such rubbish they'll eat it up said creel cheerfully and now you two run along he added to jimmy and mademoiselle roland and get into your togs i'll want you first in your harem costume princess and you in your khaki jimmy where is that mummy digby over in the ruins 
No, I've got it in the property tent, said the careful Digby. Well, get it out, and Billy, be sure you take plenty of film. I'll be off and do some real work, scoffed Davis, and presently I saw him and Mustafa crossing towards the ruins. Half an hour later we were hard at work. First we did a scene showing Jimmy and Creel carrying the papier-mâché mummy between them over from the ruins, and then I panned them up to the entrance to the tent. Then we rolled back part of the top to let in the light, and I shot them as they brought the mummy into the tent and laid it on a table which had taken the place of one of the cots. Then they went to bed. A lighted lamp and the tinting to be given the film subsequently indicated that night had fallen, and then we changed the lighting so it would be concentrated in a sort of soft, uncanny glow on the table. And Mademoiselle Roland took the mummy's place there, and I reeled back and made a double exposure. And Jimmy woke up and saw her lying there, gazing at him alluringly under half-closed lids, for all the world like that picture of Venus by Cabanel at the Met. He raised his head and looked at her a moment, then sat up in bed, and then as though the lure was irresistible, he slowly rose from the cot and stole toward her. And she slipped from the table like a snake, looking back at him over her shoulder, and glided out of the tent. He hesitated a moment, glanced at his sleeping partner, and followed. And then Creel woke up, discovered Jimmy and the mummy both missing, and rushed to the door, and stared out into the night. It was well done, and I felt sure would get across with any audience. All of these scenes, as well as the ones which followed, would be tinted, and so would be doubly effective. Outside the tent, I panned them to the edge of the desert, Jimmy following the siren and then Creel in search of them, and there we had to stop, for it was too hot to think of venturing out on the sand. We'll wait till afternoon for the finish, said Creel. You two go and rest. You've got some hard scenes ahead, but if you do as well this afternoon as you did this morning, it will be a hummer. Thanks, said Jimmy, and they walked away together back towards the tent. Queer couple, that, said Creel meditatively, looking after them. I can't for the life of me make out whether they hate each other or are desperately in love. But stranger still, my wife hasn't been able to make up her mind either, and she's a regular clairvoyant in that sort of thing. You would laugh if I told you what I think, I said. No, I wouldn't. I know what you think. You think that yarn of Jimmy's is true. Yes, I do, I said. Creel looked at me curiously. I'm not so sure myself that it isn't he said at last. I'm ashamed to admit it, but down at the bottom of my heart, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, of what Davis is going to let loose. Well, so am I. And yet I can't but admire the old sport, said Creel. He would go ahead and open that wall if he knew all hell was behind it. So would you, I said. Yes, I suppose I would, Creel agreed, and looked out across the sand. Suppose we walk over and see how he's getting along. We found him and Mustafa sweating over a rough construction of the masking wall, which was still some feet from the ceiling. This is an awful job, panted Davis, and I don't believe it's necessary. No more of the roof has fallen. Damn those fool natives anyway. Come on to lunch and rest a while, said Creel. You'll be having a heat stroke first thing you know. You have another try at those fellows, Mustafa, Davis directed. Offer double pay to anyone who'll come over here and build up this wall. Tell them I shan't ask them to enter the inner tomb. 
and make it clear to them that they lose double pay for every hour they won't work very good sir said mustafa and departed you haven't started to open up that wall then creel inquired no said davis i don't dare do that until this roof is safe then he looked at creel curiously good heavens man you don't believe that ridiculous tale i don't know what to believe answered creel moodily so many things have happened nothing has happened rapped out davis that isn't susceptible of a perfectly commonplace explanation such as bats for example perhaps you're right admitted creel reflectively and then again perhaps you're wrong anyway i'm taking no chances i'm going to get my picture so far finished this afternoon that it won't matter what happens nothing is going to happen broke in davis impatiently i hope i'm going to find another mummy it may be the body of a woman who was buried alive but take my word for it it will be quite as dead and innocuous as that paper mache fake you brought along with you well i hope so said creel and we walked back together to the tents for lunch got through the wall yet jimmy inquired in the course of that meal oh no davis answered i've got to brace up that roof first expect to get through this afternoon yes at least i will make a hole big enough to see what's inside if there's nothing there i won't have to go any farther oh yes said jimmy there is something there i think myself there is agreed davis coolly and after that the conversation languished half an hour later as i was wandering about trying to find a place cool enough to take a nap in i came upon jimmy seated at the edge of the oasis nearest the ruins carefully braiding together some leather thongs which he had secured somewhere perhaps from digby who had everything for a moment i didn't understand what it was he was doing then i saw that he was making a whip and a particularly vicious looking whip at that what is that for i asked sitting down and watching him don't you remember there was to be a whip said jimmy and turned a thong up into a loop at the thick end to go around his wrist but all of that had been cut out i reminded him just the same i rather fancy i'll need a whip said jimmy and to the other end he attached a cruel lash that would cut through any hide there and he cracked it what do you think of that i don't like the looks of it i answered candidly what are you going to do with it never mind he said that isn't your game billy you ought to thank heaven for that and he walked away and left me alone very uncomfortable in my mind i didn't like to imagine how he was going to use that whip and yet i couldn't help it and i had a vision of cruel streaks of red across white shoulders when we started out to take the final scenes there was a little bulge around jimmy's waist under his pajamas which i was certain was the whip but i soon forgot all about it in the excitement of our work our morning scenes had ended at the edge of the oasis with jimmy just from his bed following the siren through the night we picked the story up there and showed her luring him across the desert and then other scenes of creel following the trail in the sand losing it and picking it up again it was great for if ever a woman looked like a vampire mademoiselle roland did as she enticed him on and on keeping just beyond his reach gliding from between his fingers as he tried to grasp her with a tantalizing smile parting her red lips and her eyes glowing with hatred and as the game went on jimmy's eyes began to glow too and the sweat ran down across his cheeks and he fairly panted for breath we did quite a good deal of this 
for the chase was supposed to continue throughout the night and into the next day. We would show the sunrise in one scene if we could work it, but finally Creel indicated that we had enough. All right, he said, we'll do the final scene here. I don't know whether or not Jimmy heard him, but he sprang forward, swift as a dart, caught the girl before she could escape, and crushed her to him. I've got you, damn you, he said between his teeth. I've got you at last. She fought to get away. She fought like a demon, but he held her tight and slowly bent back her head with a remorseless hand and kissed her on the lips. And at his touch, her eyes closed, a shiver ran through her, and her arms fell limp. Stop, Billy, stop, yelled Creel. Hold your pose, Jimmy. Bring up that mummy, Digby. By heaven, the girl's fainted, he added, and ran forward and caught her from Jimmy's arms. Stand still, man. We'll look after her in a minute. Reel back six feet, Billy. Now, Jimmy, take the mummy. Hold it as if you were holding the girl. That's right. Now kiss it. Kiss it. All right, Billy. And I ran the six feet through again. Now, go ahead. You see, it's the mummy, Jimmy. Stare at it a moment, then try to throw it off. Stop, camera. And he ran forward and fastened the mummy's arms about Jimmy's neck. All right. Try to throw it off. Fight it. And I took a thrilling scene while Jimmy fought with the clinging monster and finally dropped exhausted to the sand. Great said Creel, and held up his hand to me to stop. All this while he had been holding the girl's limp body over one arm and gesticulating with the other, and now at last he had time to look at her, and just as he did, she straightened up and rubbed her eyes. Feeling better? he asked. I am quite well, she said, and stood away from him. Sure? I am ready to go on. Her voice was utterly expressionless, and her face was pale as death and she was rubbing her lips with the back of her hand as though they had been poisoned. And all the while, Jimmy was looking on with that infernal smile of his. I've got the word for it at last. Infernal. Creel looked at her, then looked at Jimmy, and his face hardened. There was really nothing to complain of, for that long, passionate kiss was strictly in the part. But I saw that Creel wasn't pleased. A kiss can be faked, you know. Most of them are. All right, he said. Sit down under the umbrella and rest. I won't need you for a while. Thank you, she said, and went over and sat down under the big white umbrella Digby had brought along, while Creel went ahead with the final scene. I am bound to say that Jimmy did it well. He staggered on with the mummy clinging to him around and around, and finally he managed to fight it loose and threw it to the ground and smashed its head in with his foot. And right there we did another double exposure, so that at the instant he had his foot raised, the mummy changed to the siren, but he set his face and brought his foot down upon her head and fell upon her and tore her limb from limb. Only it was the mummy's blackened members he strewed about him on the sand. And then, after a period of unconsciousness, he awoke in his right mind with the fragments about him and even as he stared at them, they seemed to run together and change to a living woman. And then, as he jumped at it, back to fragments again. No wonder he went mad and tore those fragments into little shreds and scattered the shreds to all the corners of the compass. And then his senses returned again, and he tried to get back to the oasis, and wandered this way and that, discovering at last that he was traveling in a circle, and finally dropped from exhaustion. And so Creel, in the character of his comrade, found him just before he died, 
and the last thing his eyes saw was the girl's face smiling down at him in mocking triumph over Creel's shoulder. So ended a king in Babylon. End of chapter 28